It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. And we, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Mic'd Up on OM Radio. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden, and um, I'm super excited about today's show. Took a few calming breaths before I even, like, attempted to, to approach today's topic. And putting together today's show was a complete and utter honor. Um, today... You're going to hear my interview with a licensed professional counselor, Latrice Williams from uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina. Uh, She and I are going to discuss uh, mental health and wellness during uh, a pandemic. We're going to talk about the mental health needs within the African-American community, but we're also going to talk about just in general. We're going to talk about um, counseling and therapy and getting getting care and telehealth. And we're going to talk about all of that. I had an extraordinarily eye-opening and heartwarming conversation with Latrice. And um, I look forward to sharing that conversation with you. But before I do that, um, I wanted to just kind of like maybe set up our conversation with um, some information that will help folks understand, especially when it comes to the Black community, um, what are the barriers uh, for us, what are some of the barriers for us um, that are that stand in our way of getting um, to mental health, uh, mental health care? Right. What are, what are the, it's not just always insurance. It's not just, um, you know, a lack of funds or or resources. Sometimes it's there are cultural reasons that prevent us from getting the help we need. And um, this is something that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I've always been candid about my struggles with mental health, uh, anxiety, depression. Um, and so um, I hope this conversation um, helps to destigmatize mental health um, needs. And I also hope that folks, especially uh, Gullah Geechee folk that may be listening, black folk that may be listening, I hope it encourages those who may have been apprehensive before. I hope it encourages them to go ahead and seek out help if they need it. But uh, again, like before I jump into my interview with Latrice, I wanted to play this clip. Uh, Just check it out. And it'll help you understand like what, especially what black women are contending with. Take a listen. Um, Brittany, talk about that a little bit, because I hear from a lot of people um, that being a strong black woman uh, actually can be the cause of your struggle. Yeah, because it's a lie. Yes, black women are strong, but the demand that we be strong in the face of that kind of tragedy is a completely inhumane demand. And we deserve better than that. And if it is true that we teach people how to treat us, and sometimes you gotta be a little vulnerable and say, I actually don't have it all together. Actually, actually, I'm a mess. Um, And then what you find out when you say that is that a whole lot of sisters were struggling too. Shout out to Brittany Cooper, Professor Crunk. Oh, I can listen to her speak all day, every day. But uh, that was from a conversation that was facilitated by the OWN Network, the Oprah Winfrey Network. And so it featured the voices of um, many, many Black women, and they were addressing an audience. And so Brittany Cooper, her comments followed an audience member's uh, story where she outlined how she suffered through the stillbirth of a child and, um, you know, the trauma attached with that. And I thought that that was a very instructive 
uh, conversation because I believe a lot of black women can relate to having to always uh, don this armor um, and, and not just at home, not just within our own community, but at work as well and, and in other places. So um, I wanted to play that clip to give folks an understanding as to what black women may contend with. This next clip, this now this clip is going <laughs> to is going to address the cultural barriers or some cultural issues that may emerge that might prevent might prevent folks um, from seeking out uh, therapy or any type of mental health care. All right, so take a listen to this clip. Right before I was diagnosed with bipolar 2, before I became fairly suicidal, I was talking to a friend about it and he says, we're the descendants of the slaves that survived the Middle Passage. That made us strong. You can do this. I think that was meant to be encouraging, but it didn't feel encouraging. It felt like you should be able to manage because you come from ancestors who survived. Why can't you survive? It felt like my friend had put the weight of the black race on me when I couldn't handle the weight of my own life. There's a large stigma around mental health in all communities, and particularly in communities of color and African-American communities. Most people still go to their religious leader before they go to doctors, sometimes because they still don't trust medical establishments. There are all types of mottos in black religious teachings that suggest that mental health challenges are different than any other kind of physical challenges, and we should be able to get over it by ourselves when no one thinks they just get over diabetes or heart disease by themselves. Things like saying, too blessed to be stressed, can even be harmful because you can have blessings and still be sad. We do such a good job of being community for each other and lifting each other up. And if religious leaders were better trained in addressing mental health challenges and talking about self-care, maybe more black people would feel safe talking about it. We could all use a mental health checkup once a year just like we get a physical checkup once a year. Mental health should be a priority for every individual. It's a part of our overall well-being. And if we don't put our health first, no one else will. Uh, I hope that clip from Fusion helped folks further understand, um, you know, some of the issues, the underlying issues, cultural issues within the African-American community um, at large. So um, without further ado now, I'm going to go ahead and let you uh, just listen to this conversation between myself and Latrice Williams, licensed professional counselor based out of Spartanburg, South Carolina. Please enjoy this interview. Well, thank you, Latrice, for joining me for Mike Up. Thank you so much. Um, for those who don't know who you are, could you just introduce yourself and whatever titles you go by? Yes, my name is Latrice Williams, and I am a licensed professional counselor. Okay, and um, Latrice, I really wanted to speak with um, a Black woman who's currently either administering care, uh, you know, seeing patients during the time of COVID-19, and that's why I reached out to you. Um, can you tell me what kind of work do you perform? Like your, you can like for the audience, your day-to-day -day accountabilities and what area, uh, what area do you, you currently work in? Okay. So I, like I said, I'm a licensed professional counselor. Um, currently I am in Spartanburg, South Carolina, um, but I see a variety of clients every day um, from minorities, especially, uh, and this could be, children, this could be adolescents, this can be adults. Um, what my expertise is in working with people who have trauma history, people that have anxiety, depression, challenges with self-esteem, just life stressors 
And a lot of times people come in not knowing where to begin. So my role is to try to help break down those barriers and try to help the person be the best version of themselves. That sounds awesome. And for for people, some folks might know if they listen to my show long enough, um, I love destigmatizing um, having access to mental health services. And also, you know, I, I want to encourage folks to, to talk about their own tr- troubles or struggles. Like myself, I struggle with um, anxiety um, a lot. Um, and uh, getting getting help is very, is very important to me. Um, for you, though, during the time, like this cold COVID-19 coronavirus, how have you had to adjust your, your work to help meet those, those needs in your community? So for me specifically, I was used to working four days of the week in office. Um, I have like a private office setting, and I was used to seeing clients there face to face. Um, but with all the coronavirus and all the extra precautions, I completely switched to telehealth services. So what that means is that I offer individual therapy, sometimes family therapy, but it's through a computer screen, through a trusted site, or even phone calls. So that has been a dramatic change because a lot of times we think of therapy, we think of sitting on somebody's couch or that face-to-face interaction, but now you're having to interact and help people with the use of technology, which I'm thankful for, but it can be challenging because a lot of times, a lot of people, especially minorities, we already have this, like, I don't want to go talk to somebody I don't know. And when we don't have that face-to-face interaction, a lot of times people have that, that guard up. So it's definitely doing a lot of trust building and letting people know, like, I'm here for you. I can help you. Did you do any telehealth prior to, to this whole lockdown situation? Absolutely not. I was, <laughs> I was always leaning towards it, but I was like, you know, um, one day I'll do that. One day I'll dip into that avenue. But with this um, pandemic came about, I knew that I had to, you know, do some training on it and just jump into it because it was something that nobody was expecting. Well, um, and four days a week, that sounds like a pretty hefty work schedule. Um, did you, I didn't know if you mentioned, did it increase? Are you working more time, more hours now or more days a week now? Yes, I am working five days a week now, but I have limited my um, number of clients that I see a day. So now that I'm home um, and everybody else is at home too, so there's more challenges that come with working from home. So for me, I have to prioritize, okay, how do I balance this? How do I take care of my household, take care of my family while being able to help somebody else? Because if I can't take care of me and help somebody else, I'm not going to be good for anybody else that I'm serving. So for me, that looks like, okay, instead of seeing seven people a day, I see about maybe five people a day. I make sure I'm intentional with like scheduling breaks in between people instead of just seeing people back to back. So there's lots of intentional things that I'm doing to be able to help more people. So it's been, it's been great so far. I've actually had like a lot more resources and a lot more people reaching out for help because I think they're at home now. And a lot of times this is when a lot of mental illnesses are being triggered. Mm. So not just the pandemic, but being home, perhaps in, in these new stressors around being home, you think might make folk need more help more often? Definitely. It definitely yeah. triggers a lot of like mental health issues because the mindset that we were in was that we were living and we were, you know, doing well. And now with this pandemic, a lot of people are switching to surviving. So that comes with a lot of like anxiety, a lot of um sadness, a lot of worry, um, and this can trigger um, by, like, people's job security. Um, We have to 
quarantine and be in isolation. So that brings on loneliness, um, hopelessness. A lot of times people set into unhealthy habits. So there's a lot of mental health issues that are going to increase during this time because you're, you're kind of left to deal with you. And we all know that we're all really busy. And when you're stuck dealing with you, that's when a lot of your symptoms can surface. How long have you been counseling folks? I have been in the mental health field for the last nine years. So I've worked in like private setting currently. I worked in the mental health hospitals. I've worked with children. I've worked um, in a mental health clinic. So this is definitely like a passion of mine. Um, So the last nine years have been like amazing and just trying to get more minorities to get the help because it's out there. Um, So it is definitely a passion that I have of trying to get my people to reach out and get the help that they need. Absolutely. Again, going back to that whole stigma piece, um, it's very important that folks just, not even just stigma, I think folks just, there are barriers in place that prevent folks from like, seeking you out. What have um, been some of the ways folks have um, found you, like how they happen across your services or your count, yeah, your counseling services? So in order to find me, um, is a lot of Some people would do like word of mouth, which I'm very appreciative of. Um, But also there's a website that is called Psychology Today. And you type in your zip code or you type in like the type of therapist you're looking for. And then it connects you to me and other therapists that meet your need. Um, So it's really important that when you're finding a therapist that you find somebody that you feel like you can connect to. Um, So so on Psychology Today, you have the option to put in like some of your symptoms, some of the things you're dealing with, and it connects you to somebody that can help you. Okay. So, you know, um, I feel like with social media, especially Instagram, a lot of Black women have popularized seeking therapy or, or seeking the help of a counselor. And a lot of Black women in my circles have always articulated like the desire to see a Black woman or Black therapist uh, or counselor. Um, have you had have you had maybe um, experienced more popularity as of late? You think it's social media driven or anything like that? Black women just seeking you out more? I definitely feel like I have seen an increase of, I wouldn't even say black women. I have lots of males too that are seeking um, counseling and they are preferring like a black therapist. Um, But going back to like the woman, definitely like I've had so many women say like it's time and I feel comfortable speaking with somebody that, you know, that looks like me and can relate to some of the things that I've been through that I feel like maybe somebody else would not be able to relate. Yeah, they might be able to help, but they, they're not as comfortable with like, okay, this person can relate to some of the, the things that I've had to go through or some of the challenges that are prevalent in our community. Do um are you currently like within a network of other black uh, psychology professionals or count other counselors? Like, is there a network or group of women in the state that folks can that may not know about? So, in my pr- personal practice, we have maybe three to well, we have about four African Americans, but the go to I always send people to is um Black Girl Therapist. Um, Therapy for Black Girls, sorry, um, that has a wealth of information. There's a podcast, there's a way to connect to therapists in your area, and it's just a great tool to be able to help African-American women. I've also had men speak it too, but it's definitely designed for women. So um, let me ask you this. I heard one of my, I've, I've had a conversation with a friend of mine about with the joblessness um, that everyone, that a lot of folks are experiencing, um, they lost their access to insurance, health insurance. Um, has that been a problem for folks who seek out your, your services? 
for me, it hasn't. Um, but I've always told people that just because like you may have some challenges with your employment, the help is still out there. So you have to be creative about how you seek the help, um, especially during this time with the COVID. So a lot of times people, some people have lost their jobs. Um, some people's jobs are not in the open, but there's always like a local mental health center that you can connect to. Um, you also can reach out to therapists and see if some clients will be like, some therapists will see people um, at a discounted rate or on an income-based thing, but you have to be able to ask questions to get the help that you need. Yeah, that was going to be that was going to be my follow up question was what complimentary programs or services are out there for folks who perhaps may not be able to pay a counselor like yourself, like you just mentioned um, some other areas, but is, are there even some more even more basic things you prescribe for people who can't come and see you? Yeah, so if somebody is like definitely struggling and they can't come in um, and they feel like they need the help, there's lots of hotlines. You can always reach out to Crisis Line. Um, the state of South Carolina has a crisis line that you can call to talk to somebody. Um, there's lots of apps that you can connect to, um, even just social media. There's lots of groups that you can connect to. Um, the good thing about social media is that, especially Facebook, there's groups for everything. So you can have a group about that you're in for like black women with depression. And this is just like a support group. So a lot of times there's groups that you can join that you're going to be around people that have similar challenges that you go through and they can help each other. And just like you can read up on information. I always say the information is there. So doing some research to figure out, okay, if I am dealing with a mental illness, like what can I do? Can I read up on this? Can I join a support group? Can I access like a help helpline or can I reach out to somebody that has had similar things that I can be able to so I can be able to help them? Um, there's a wealth of information about mental health that's out there. It's just that we have to know how to kind of connect to it. Um, you know, the over the years again, I'm gonna mention social media, uh, self-care has become very popularized self-care it's been commodified even um let me ask you this and not trying to make you say something i'm sometimes i get a little perturbed by the overuse of the of the phrase self-care but what to you like how do you define self-care um in a broader sense so for me i would definitely say that self-care is a priority and it's something that you have to do to be the best version of you a lot of times people think of self-care as like, oh, I'm just going to go get my nails done or I'm just going to, you know, go get my hair done. Yeah, that's great. But for me personally, I break self-care down into like different avenues. So there's a physical level of self-care. There's an emotional level of self-care. There's a social level of self-care and there's a spiritual um, connection to self-care. Um, self-care should not just be limited to one thing. So if we have all these different avenues that we can reach into, then you have to figure out what you can do to keep you sane and keep you well and keep you healthy. So like self-care is endless of things that you can do, but sometimes you have to step outside of your box and say, okay, what's something that I'm going to do that's going to help me to be mindful of like how I'm feeling versus mm -hmm. let me just do something that feels good. Right. Like, like buying something like retail therapy is another phrase I hear a lot. <laughs> Right. Like you could get in trouble with that. You got to be careful. Like, yes, it's okay to go out and window shop, but if it's becoming a, a habit and you're spending money and it's just unhealthy, then that's not a coping skill. That's not doing you any good. A coping skill should be something that de deposits something that's going to help you in your life, not put you in a bind or make things worse. Well, what's like the biggest misconception that you might think, maybe culturally speaking to folks in our um, our extended African-American community, what, what perhaps may be the most 
something you've heard often, um, a misconception about what people think counseling might be like. So this is one of my favorite topics. Um, The one thing that has come up that I've noticed is that people in our community are kind of hesitant to seek help because they've been taught that like, I'm strong, so I don't need to seek help for it. Or they're taught that like, this is my problem and I don't need to talk about it. So a lot of times it's breaking down that wall and just providing that support and that comfort that yes, these are your problems, but if you can't grasp it by yourself, and sometimes you shouldn't be able to do things by yourself, it's okay to seek help for it. That doesn't mean that you're weak. That actually means that you're you're taking a stance and you're strong and saying, okay, like I need help. I'm aware that I need help and I'm going to do something about it. But I think in our community, it's just that, you know, we're very private and what's done in the house is done in the house and we're not trying to let everybody else in. So sometimes that can be very challenging as far as people seeking help that they need. Yeah, I think that whole, the trope or the the stereotype of the strong black woman speaking from the perspective of a woman uh that's something we mm-hmm. become a pri- a prison for us um you know mm-hmm. that we, we always have to present as strong and whatnot um uh, let me ask you this do you have any concerns about um i guess uh not enough people seeking out counseling seeking out therapy do you have any concerns for uh, any segment of our community that you feel is underserved I definitely feel like the people who don't have, you know, access to um, social media or just don't really know what's out there, I think then these people are underserved because there's no way to kind of connect with these people. Um, There's no way to kind of get them the tools that they need. So in some communities, they they don't have access to internet. So it's not like they can just, you know, go and search and do things. Um, So I think those people in our community are definitely underserved because they don't know some of the information that's out there for them. Yeah, I, I think immediately of like rural areas that might not have um, internet connectivity. And so like that's mm-hmm. always uh, that. And then also, I guess the cultural norms in those rural areas as well, like perhaps um, church and you mentioned spirituality is being important for self-care, but perhaps an over-reliance on the spiritual um, in lieu of like seeking out counseling that might I'm imagining that might be an issue as well. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah, let me, so um, before uh, the pandemic kind of, you said you had your own, you have your own practice, um, but before it, it uh, forced you to just specifically just do telehealth, were there um, any goals you had for your practice in terms of perhaps partnering with other services or how to reach people who might, might not have access to therapy? Um, yes. Yeah, so currently I am within a group of other clinicians who are all doing private practice. But overall, my goal is to completely be by myself and serve minorities that, you know, don't have access to um, just the typical health care that we think of. Um, I definitely have a a love string for just children. So trying to connect with children, trying to help families be better families, trying to help families grow um, and definitely start breaking some of these generational curses. And a lot of times I see that a lot of times parents will have children and they kind of repeat the things that were done to them. And what they're doing is like you're just creating a history of trauma Um, and they want to stop. It's not that they don't 
want to stop, they don't have the tools to stop. So I definitely want to connect with families in the African-American community that don't have these tools so that they can be more successful. And I think it starts with kind of plugging into the child so that way they know what's out there. They know that, that they have tools and they have people to help them be able to help themselves and help their families. Do you think that that means you'll be working like within a school system or just completely like independent of a school system? I haven't really put much thought into like school sitting. Um, I'm kind of enjoying the whole private practice and being able to kind of like make my own schedule. Um, So I would love to be able to like connect and partner with the schools to be able to provide services, but I don't know if I'll exactly like work for, you know, the school system, Um, but I would definitely love to be able to connect and partner with different teachers or like programs and there's, I mean, there's teachers out here that have people in their classroom that they know that need the help. So if I'm able to connect with the teachers or the, the guidance counselors there, then that definitely can help get these services to the families that definitely need it the most. Absolutely. So I, I didn't ask you at the beginning of the interview, are you from, you, you're in Spartanburg, but are you from this area, from this state? No, um, I am actually from Connecticut. Um, my mom is from the Low Country. Um, she's from a small town called Neesmith, South Carolina. So that's kind of in the Low Country near Charleston, um, kind of near Hemingway um, area. So I've always had roots down in the South. Um, we will always come South, and we always knew that this is a place that we would kind of venture off to once everybody kind of grew up. Um, but she has taught me a lot of the the Southern aspects of just you know growing up in life and the culture yeah no I asked because I'm born and raised in Jersey and um and I I lived in Philly for 10 years after undergrad so and but my folks just like your mom my folks are from the south my dad is from Charleston uh and so um I'm actually glad you said that you're from the northeast um uh yeah I wanted to know Mm -hmm. like so culturally have you seen um and I don't know how much of your adult years or your education, uh, where I don't, well, where did you study, if you don't mind me asking? So I studied psychology at um, USC Upstate in Spartanburg, and then I did my master's in Greenville at Webster. Um, okay. So I've been in the Upstate doing my, um, my education. Okay, so I'm, I'm asking because that's good. So you have a, a good grasp and you live here again right now. Um, so like culturally though, the Southern, um, region for me presented a lot of, a a new set of challenges for me in terms of my mental health and wellness. Do you see specific challenges maybe that, that, that may differ from being in the deep South, a red state, a little bit more conservative? Do you see anything different that, that maybe your patients contend with? From, from what I think I've seen the most is that the differences rely in just beliefs. Um, I think a lot of the, you know, northern states, um, they have that religion, but it's not as like deeply rooted in as in the South. So when I came to the South and started doing my studies, a lot of it was like, okay, well, how do we try to help people that have their faith? And that's the only way that they see it. Um, So I think trying to get the community that's in the South to understand that like nobody is disowning your faith we're just trying to help you see that if you have all these tools to help you why rely on just one thing I'm a big advocate on if you have all these tools in your toolbox let's use everything to make you 
better, to make you feel better. Um, I think that was kind of the hardest thing to grasp that like, it was just like, this is the, this is the way it is. And that's it. <laughs> um, mm. So that's the clashes that I've seen. Yeah, I, I'm because you mentioned toolbox. And then before you said you broke up self care into those categories, I think about four categories, which included spiritual, emotional, physical. So like you said, you want to use the whole arsenal if at your that's at mm-hmm. your disposal. Yeah. So let me. So what about attitudes towards like black folks attitudes towards possibly needing medication? Ooh, that one is a challenge. Mm. Um, definitely a challenge. Um, I feel that a lot of times people have just a preconceived thought or notion that like medication is, is just not the way to go. Um, but a lot of times when you have that therapist support and, you know, you're talking about, okay, this medication can help you, but I always tell people medication is not going to do it all. Like it's not even going to take away your problems. What the medication does a lot is kind of help balance some of your moods so that you can help tackle the problem. So a lot of times people have this conception that like, you know, medication is just going to do it all. And I'm going to be labeled for taking medications. And that's when your therapist comes in to kind of support you and say, okay, yes, you have this diagnosis, but that doesn't mean that's who you are. And yes, if this can help, let's just try it. Let's see. And I'm very good at equipping people to when you go into these appointments, you know, these are questions that you need to ask. Like, don't just take anything, like make sure that you're prepared to have a conversation with your your doctor or your psychiatrist about, you know, what they're prescribing, how it's going to make you feel and just having that open dialogue about, okay, is this a route for me? Because it might not be a route for you. There might be other things that you can try, but if it's a constant thing and you're not getting any relief and you keep trying and trying and you're not getting any relief and you can actually say you're putting in that effort to try, then that's when we say, okay, well, let's see if medication can help us. But it doesn't mean that medication means stop therapy and stop doing everything else you were doing. It means let's add this to your toolbox. So let's say hypothetically, um, I'm a new patient of yours and you see that I have some sort of anxiety disorder and you, you, you suggest that I may need to go on some sort of medication. Like, how would you approach me? Like, what would you say to someone who's tentative about that or hesitant to start that regimen? Um, I know you just said ask questions, but what, what would you, how would you characterize it to someone who's going to be new to that? Okay, so if somebody new comes in and they have symptoms of anxiety or any other like symptoms of like worsening depression or anything like that, um, in the rapport building, we definitely decide, okay, um, is this a topic that we need to discuss right away? Because a lot of times it can be like anxiety that can be like work down and we can find like different things to help this. But if the person has like these worsening symptoms, then that's where it's like, okay, I would approach it as, okay, I always ask the person, like, do you want relief? Do you want to see a difference? Because some people don't. Some people are content with just the chaos of, you know, life that they're used to. But if a person is really wanting some relief and they want to see things differently, then that's where I will say, okay, well, have you ever thought about taking medication? And, you know, what have you heard about medication? Like, what are your fears about it? And we do like a fact check and say, okay, these are your thoughts. These are your fears. Let's do some research on it. And then we finally get to a step, okay, well, here are some providers that you can go to um, and hopefully these are some people that I have a connection with or your therapist has a connection with that can support you in helping you make that decision. Um, but I never just say, okay, medication, here you go. No, that's not my stance at all. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I don't know. I wish I would have known you back in the day, but I <laughs> 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 had some experiences with, mm, I ain't going to say it, but no, um, but no, um, you, you mentioned um, the rapport building phase. So that actually uh, made me think of another question. Like, so when folks come to see you, are there phases and because it's a relationship, right? We're building relationship with, with our counselors. So yeah, how would you, what are the steps of you building out a relationship with your, with your uh, patient? So the first step is just, I think when I first get somebody, I definitely um, try to introduce myself. And I also go over like the limitations of therapy. I talk a lot about like confidentiality and making that person feel comfortable. Um, a lot of it is doing like a lot of listening um, and validating what this person is saying because they're coming into you for help. They don't know you um, and trying to get this person to open up. It's, it's hard work, but it can be done. So, you know, definitely being attentive to who's in front of me, making eye contact, um, repeating back what they're saying, letting them know that like, I am here to support you. I'm not here to judge you. Um, I don't have any, there's no judgmental stance when you enter this room, like this is your time. And a lot of times it only takes one to two sessions and then the person comes in and they look forward to therapy because they know that this is their time to be their unique self and this is their time to be vulnerable and just let things out without fear that like somebody's gonna judge me. Um, so I think that when you first meet somebody and you first meet your therapist, yes, you have questions, ask your questions, because we're asking you a bunch of questions, so it's okay to ask those questions too. Um, but eventually that relationship will definitely develop and you feel like you can trust your therapist to be there to help you, to call you out, to challenge you, and just to kind of help you be that better version of yourself. You, you know, um, you, there's so much like emotional uh, unloading during therapy typically that um, I can imagine that folks might mm, confuse the dynamics of the relationship you mentioned no judgment. Mm -hmm. So like, like, let's just say like, I can almost imagine, I think earlier on when I was first introduced to therapy, it felt like I was just letting everything out and mm -hmm. almost, almost like just having someone to listen to me was, was good enough, but I had to mm -hmm. figure, I had to realize I had to do some work too. Right not just mm -hmm. vent. So I wanted to know, like, is that something you have to deal with? Like with, when um, prospective patients don't understand the rigors of, of the treatment, like it's not just them venting about, you know, their whatever's going on personally, it's actual work that you two have to do together. Is that something that people get confused? Definitely. So I think as time progresses and people get comfortable, then people definitely get to the point where it's like, okay, I'm going to see my therapist. I'm just going to let everything all out for the whole session. And yes, that's good that you're letting it out. And I'm glad that they have that space too. But me personally, before we even dive into stressors and like history, we create a document that's called a plan of care. Um, and your plan of care has goals that you want to work on. So this is a document that we update from like every three months or we, we can reflect back on. So for me, I always bring up the goals that the client has identified. So these are your goals. So yes, thinking about this, but what are we doing? Like what actions is behind this goal and what steps are we taking to be better for this goal that we have set for ourselves so I think it's really good to know when you go to therapy to have a goal that you want to work on so that way your therapist can hold you accountable for actually working towards this goal whether it's like a self-esteem goal whether it's a boundaries goal whatever the goal is you have to identify what that is and identify what you want help with 
so that way you guys can both know and so that way your therapist can hold you accountable for actually doing the work. Yeah, it's like any other form of medical treatment. You have to have like a plan on how to get better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's good. I'm glad you mm-hmm. put it that way. Yeah, I think that helps people too. Um, really like not take what they see maybe pop what's popularized on like like television like okay for instance insecure just started right i don't know if you watch the series on hbo i do i love pizza <laughs> me too <laughs> and like some some of the like the most the some of the most spirited conversations always involve molly and her growth and her seeking out therapy and um there's some good conversations that have emerged from that and there's some not so healthy conversations I've been privy to let me ask you this are there things that you see like on really popular programming that you know are going to cause some confusion for you when people like their maybe their expectations aren't in line with reality Yes, I think from a lot of platforms, like sometimes people get the idea that, you know, therapy is just this place for you just to vent. Um, So I don't think a lot of the platforms show that like therapists are are there to kind of challenge you Um, and not challenge you in a way that's going to push you away. But the therapist role is definitely to challenge you to see things differently, to like call you out on some of your your thoughts and your beliefs and to kind of partner with you to say, okay, this is how I've been thinking. And these are like the consequences of my thinking. So I think on like a lot of TV shows and things like that, you only see like the person or the character, you know, just kind of venting and letting it all out. And then the therapists are usually not really saying much. They're kind of just there with their notebook and their pen. And that's typically not how it goes. Mm, mm, yeah I do, do you do a lot of question question uh question asking <laughs> so the first session is usually like your assessment so yes the first session I always tell people like the first session is going to feel like an interview because I'm trying to get to know you and get all your information um, about childhood, about, you know, your hobbies, things you enjoy, your symptoms, it's a variety of different questions. But after that, there's like a, a time where we don't do all the questioning and it's just allowing the person to, you know, share what's going on. And then we start working on those goals that you've identified. You know, um, your, that what you just offered me just now in that response made me actually think back to uh, insecure again <laughs> to um, <laughs> last season when Molly wasn't forthright with her counselor and like she didn't even tell her counselor about like that one relationship she was in with a married man. And so like she's talking and talking and counselor's like, well, who's this dude? And um, so in terms of like you sitting with patients, have you run into issues where folks just didn't disclose everything and, and things weren't adding up or you, you weren't maybe weren't meeting certain goals set in the plan because the patients are less or more reluctant, you know, to divulge all the, the gritty details? Yes, absolutely. So people will come in with like a goal, but then there might be other things that's around this goal. And a lot of times people will want to withhold information. So a lot of times I can tell when a person is like, you know, withholding something or they don't, they like want to tell me, but they don't want to tell me. Um, So once it is out in the open, we just go back and say, okay, so, you know, how are you feeling about not sharing this? And there's usually something that makes the person not want to share it, whether they feel like there's judgment or they feel like it wasn't, you know, something that they wanted to show in their character. And then we kind of dig into that part and say, okay, like, how does this relate to you? Um, But a lot of times people will try to like, you know, just leave out information or only tell you one side of the story because it comes back to them. And it's like, okay, well, 
what does that say about you or what were you doing in this situation? Um, so I think, I do think people withhold information as kind of like their way of kind of protecting themselves and they're not ready to be 100% vulnerable yet, but they'll get there. They, it will right. get there. Right. I think it has no no other choice but to get there if they continually see someone like you. Um, you know, that makes me think about mm-hmm. um, that makes me think about myself a little bit. Um, I'm not trying to be sanctimonious, um, but like I don't struggle with personal accountability. Like so I, I because I don't mm-hmm. ever want someone to say you lied or you withheld. So I'm, I'm always like accountable. But I see um, again, I'm not saying that like, oh, I'm better than anyone. But um, but I do see some folks struggle with that, especially in a, in, in a counseling session, or at least I've heard this, like maybe in conversations, is it hard for people to kind of, um, you know, to, to, I guess, realize their own agency in their issues, like how they may have brought about some of the discord in their lives? Yes, it is hard. Um, a lot of times people do things because that's kind of how they were taught to do things, or a lot of times people do things out of like reactions. And a lot of times we respond out of emotions. So it's like, I felt this way, so this is why I responded, and that's it. Um, But you have to take a step back, and the therapist helps you to kind of take that step back and look at it from all other angles to say, okay, yes, this is you acting out of emotion, or, you know, this is how we could have acted, and this is how we want to act in the future. Um, And just tying in, like, different ways to kind of help the person see, okay, that there's more there's more than one way to solve a problem. There's more than one way to look at a problem. There's more than one way to kind of analyze a problem. But a lot of times you do need somebody else kind of helping you guide and work through this. Because if you don't have that help, then you just keep doing things the way you've been doing it. And I always say that that's like the definition of insanity. You do the same thing over and over, expecting different results. But you're not going to get different results because you're doing the same thing over and over. Yeah, I think that learned behavior piece is really hard to break free from. Like you mm-hmm. said, I think some people just were were reared up in a way where it just becomes muscle memory in terms of, of how mm-hmm. folks, you know, react and respond. Well, um, I wanted to ask maybe these, these final few questions, um, bringing it back to the coronavirus. Are there any tips or advice you'd like to administer to anyone listening about, about how yeah, to so you know, get through this? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're fine. So for anybody like listening, I think this is definitely a difficult time for for everybody. Um, So I definitely think that we all have to just take a step back and say, okay, like everybody's struggling and just identifying like, okay, I'm going to be gentle with myself and I'm going to use self-care because this is a trying time for everybody. So if that means disconnecting from the news or social media or limiting that stuff, like that's okay. Definitely practicing like gratitude and examining the good because a lot of times during this pandemic, it's only focused on like a lot of the negative things that cause people to worry and to have these unpleasant feelings. But taking that step back and saying, okay, this is, this is what it is, but what's a positive in this? And the example I always use is that people say, like, I'm stuck at home. Yes, we are stuck at home. I feel like we're in punishment, but what's the positive in that? Like, I'm, I'm safe. I have all my needs that are pretty much met. So taking that step back and doing, like, a, a mental shift to focus on the good. And then one thing that I always recommend everybody do is just be mindful of, like, what you're doing and how you're taking care of your body. Um, physical exercise, getting outside. Um, 
just doing things that you know that's going to kind of take your mind off of things. This is a good time to start journaling your feelings. It's a good time to start connecting with like who you are, what you want, what you don't want, and kind of being in tune with yourself because we have the time now. You're home now. You're not really doing much. So use this time to kind of create that version of who you want to be. And if things you know that are stressing you out and there's triggers, start setting a plan on how to deal with those things. Because once this is over and once this dies down, those things are still going to be there. Mm, thank you. So I think that's really helpful for folks. Um, I know even for me, my schedule kind of went went nuts in terms of, oh, I, hate, I shouldn't use that term. I'm sorry, it's ableist. But um, yeah. my, my, <laughs> my schedule, look at me. Um, demonstrate accountability. Um, my my schedule went 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 a little haywire in terms of like I'm up early because now I'm doing the radio show from home, pre-recording it, mm-hmm. and like like my walks and my journaling totally took a back seat. But you just reminded me to to bring that back. But um, yeah. So so again, I know you mentioned where folks can find counselors and I'm not I'm not saying that you have um you know I don't know how much capacity you have but where could folks maybe find you or find your information Uh, once again I can be found on psychology today um, under Latrice Williams or I also have a Facebook a lot of times people will like message me on Facebook um, just to get additional information I'm always willing to help people connect to therapists or you know get them just some resources to help them. Um, so that's how you can find me if you are in the Spartanburg area. Um, I'm at a practice called Healing Solutions located in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Oh, that's great. And thank you so much for this time. You, you don't know how much of a service just this interview has been for me. So thank you so much. And um, yeah, I can't wait to share this with everyone else. <laughs> thank you. All right. Take care, Latrice. <laughs> Remember to uh, check out the show notes for more information Um, following each episode, each show that airs. um, I'll always have additional information in the show notes. You can find that information over on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Um, And I also urge you to please rate, subscribe, like, share, share mic'd up if you're really feeling it. Um, Thank you for your support. Um, Shout out to Latrice. She's amazing. She's an amazing professional. And I look forward to just watching her do her thing here in South Carolina and putting putting folks on to her services as well. Um, So um, I want to extend a thank you to her again <laughs> um but uh yeah i'm gonna sign off right here uh rona is still running rampant so i want to urge you all to please continue to practice uh, uh social distancing uh, please stay ha- happy and healthy stay home if you can all my gullah geechee folk all my black folk y'all y'all stay black take care <laughs>